just as we were worshiping, I had a picture of a paraglider and of somebody in a microlight. And if you look at a microlight, it's got structure and it's got an engine. And the person in the microlight is trusting the engine to get them from A to B. And I felt like God is saying for us as leaders, some of us have become dependent upon the structure of our leadership. Whereas with the paraglider, there's nothing that he can see. He is totally dependent upon the thermals to give him direction and to lead him and take him where he needs to go. And I feel God is saying, we need to stop being in a microlight, trust him and just paraglide. Well done, Debs, thank you. I've never been in a paraglider, but I have been in a microlight and I said never again. <laughs> never ever again. I look down there, my tackies are there, and then I can see the street below. And I'm going like, no, 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 it shouldn't be. And I promised the Lord that if he got me down safely, I'd never, never test him again. <laughs> so, uh, but that's a great picture. Let's, let's not trust in, in our own ability, in our own structure, in our own man-made things. Let's trust in him. I tell you, if we would just yield to his spirit, he would do... It stuff that we could never imagine and so wonderful thank you for the worship team I, I felt like the rapture just happened <laughs> for a second not not long just a second I thought um, um, <clears throat> a couple of guys have been toing and froing anybody been on a trip where Brady where are you guys where's Brady come just come tell us quickly what happened at uh, I'm gonna say the way that um, one of our guys said it this weekend is Carcamas and um Goeienaand allemaal. Ons was in die land waar hulle Afrikaans praat. So like at one stage, I was like, how do you say that in English? <laughs> but anyway, it was a fantastic trip. We were in Bloemfontein. From Bloemfontein, we went up to Uppington. There's a church plant hap that happened last year in is in the farming community. And we're just so excited as to what God's doing. They've had challenges, which is normal. When there's growth, there's always that headwind that we that we know about, but we're just trusting God for incredible things. And it was just good to be with, with our brothers and sisters that side of, of South Africa, Northern Cape. Thank you, Mensa. <laughs> well done, Brady. Anybody else been anywhere recently? Anybody been on the travels? Okay. Grant uh, Crawfee is going to Malta tomorrow, he's, but he needs your prayers because he's not feeling so well. And uh, he, needs, he needs to get on an airplane tomorrow to go to Malta. So we could just pray for him. Uh, if you could just bear him up in prayer, we will, we will do that. Abby and I go to the northwest on Friday morning um, for three weeks. So we also could do with your prayers. Uh, going to go and visit some churches down there. And uh, God is doing some amazing things around our nation and in the world. And um, it's uh, wonderful to be part of something. That we do this together, and it's good that we do it together. We don't play Lone Ranger. It's not good for us. It's not healthy. Uh, when we're together, we get a perspective, and, uh, and God speaks in a group like this. So we're going to hear from a couple of guys this evening. The first one used to be uh, a, an officer and a gentleman. He is... I think they call them officers retired. He's still a gentleman, although some would dispute that. Um, but he's been leading Richland's church along with his wife and the team there. 
um, for the last four years, I think in your fourth or fifth year now. And um, so, big welcome for Johan Meding. Come on. Thank you, Richard. Thank you for the opportunity tonight. You know, I uh, just want to speak about the goodness of our Father. I'm looking at Aubrey. Uh, Aubrey, I know Aubrey from about the age of 10, having been schooling with my son, Rain. And I just turned to Aubrey now and I said to him, Aubrey, um, would you have ever thought when you were a young boy coming to visit us at home that uh, we would share the the pulpit one day and sharing God's word. And we can never underestimate the goodness of our Father and the plans that he has for us. And it's just so absolutely amazing. So Father God, Lord, thank you for this evening. Father, thank you for the opportunity. Father, let your will be done. Father, your thoughts, not mine, Lord. So Father, I surrender to you. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would speak, speak through me this evening. Evening, And Father, just come and, and do your work in our midst, Lord. Father, give us a sensitivity towards your word. And Father, help us to, to hear you clearly speak. Not Johan, but you, O oh Father. Thank you, Lord. Amen. So just quickly about myself. Larissa introduced me. I was 39 years, retired a couple of years ago. Early retirement from the Hawks here in Marysburg. Married to Estelle. Uh, Estelle is like the submarine in the relationship. She just, she goes under where I get excited and get cross and I get worked up. Stally is just like, and when she comes out, she launches torpedoes and then she goes under again. But uh, I, I thank God for a good wife. A wife has been, has been my support and then been, God is my anchor, but Estelle has been just like that, that steady pillar in my life, just refocusing me all the time. When I get excited, this tally just comes alongside me. She says to me, ach, ons panou net, man. <laughs> just, just relax, just focus on this. And then I said, okay. My son, uh, Rain and Meg, is in Edge Church, um, in the uh, World's View site. And uh, my daughter, Colleen and uh, Mark Whitfeld are on eldership in the north side. So I thank God for, for my family, for my children, just picking up on the culture, on, on the value system that we have installed in our house. That's certainly something to pray for, for our children, just to keep on walking in the promises that God has for us. And so this morning, I don't, this evening, I don't want to preach from a scripture. I just want to talk about, about our journey, what's happened in our life, and I just want to talk about how I do church. And especially with the younger guys, I'm sure that you can learn from this. And from us older guys, it's always good just to, to revisit uh, our basic, our, 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 our basis. So my story started with a teaching that Ed Strong did in Richmond. And I think in 2019, Ed visited Richmond's church when Hilton was still leading late Hilton. And Ed that evening shared with us the story about Paul and Timothy and Paul talking to Timothy about circumcision. And uh, I remember Ed said that we need to constantly as leaders circumcise our hearts. And um, so what happened to me since then is, is that I would wake up two o'clock in the morning and just wander through the house and just, I can't sleep. And eventually I realized, but God is doing something in my life. At that point in time, leadership, church leadership was not on a cart. Um, I, I left the police to go into the corporate and, uh, world, uh, being employed as a security consultant with big corporate companies, not security companies. And um, I just, at one point in time, I woke up in the morning, two o'clock and I just laughed. I said, Lord, okay, I get it. 
I'm not going to argue with you. I know it's time to pray. And I would go and sit, I would go and sit in a lounge and just start praying into, Lord, what are you doing? What are you saying to me? And um, in that process, I thought of the teaching that Ed did about circumcision of your heart. And on the coffee table in the lounge was a manual on training to its eldership. And I picked this up two o'clock in the morning and I paid through that. And there's a checklist to check arrogance in your life. And at one point in time, the Portfolio Committee on Safety Security had investigation conducted against me because, as most of you know, I was a subject of third force allegations and the Truth Commission and all of that. And the police offered me, they appointed an actuary to, to calculate my future earnings so that they can get rid of me. And I looked at it and I thought, you know, I've, I've never been arrogant, I'm confident. <laughs> so I thought, but let me do that test of arrogance. Yeah, I caught myself out in six points out of 10. And I thought to myself, if I can identify arrogance in my life, you know, the people out there can even identify more points. And I had to embark on a journey before our Heavenly Father to get rid of that police attitude. You know, that, that thing there. Um, you know what I'm talking about. Some of you, most of you, have probably at some point in time being on the wrong side of the law. I hope not. But, but just to get rid of that, and I realized that my attitude as a police officer is not good for the kingdom of God. Um, because in the police where I was, my, my identity was around my reputation and performance. And we thrive on your reputation. The more you are in the newspapers, the better you feel about yourself. And, and, and eventually, we, we at our office had a, had a, had a competition. You, who would make the front, the billboards and then the tall witness? I, have, I had a whole pack. They're still lying in my study at home. And so that was our identity. And I realized that if, if I wanted to come into, into ministry, that I needed to walk out of that identity, that, that old creation, and walk into something new. And that's been a challenge for me to walk out of the, the old Yuhan, uh, that Yuhan, the colonel in Hawks, into, into my calling as a pastor of the church, as a leader of a church, as a son of God. Not known as the colonel, but known as the leader of the church. And to me, it's, it's a huge challenge. And I have to constantly sit and evaluate my motives. I constantly have to check myself. And I think it's important for us as leaders to do that, to sit and, and look at yourself and say, you know, is it still about me? Is it about me, like somebody just said now, about structure? Or is it really about the Heavenly Father? Is it about God's kingdom? And that's been a valuable lesson for me. And, you know, so it's taken a, a, couple, of, a couple of weeks or three months that we worked through that. And one day I said to Estelle, I said, to close the business. And she said to him, what are you doing? I said, I don't know what God's doing, but God is, there's something happening here. I said, to close the business, and we had a bit of a Barney. And she said to me, she's never seen me like that. I've always been a guy that's busy. I know what I want. I'm confident. I know what I want. I know what I want to do. And now all of a sudden, I'm like, I don't know what's going on here. And then at some point in time, I said to her, I, 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 I sense that God is putting on my heart to take the church over, to lead the church. And I thought, now, how do we go about this? And I started praying, and I said, Lord, um, what is it? What are you saying to me? And at one point in time, I said, we need to go to, to Drakensburg Artekafia Resort, and I put my rucksack on with my dumbbells in the back, and I said to her, I'll see you this afternoon. And I walked out of the camp, and I into the maize fields, and I walked through those channels, uh, and to just walked and said, Lord, 
I need to get Johan out of the picture. And it's so important for us as leaders that, we, that when we come to God, the challenge is to get yourself out of the picture. That thing of just removing myself because our voice is strong in our lives. And, and I, have, I think I have a strong personality, so my voice is quite loud. And to me, it's a challenge to get my thoughts out of the way and to hear what God is saying. And I came back that afternoon, got lost as well. And I said to myself, God spoke to me that we need to take the church over. And so, so what happened during that process, a testimony of the prophetic. I woke up one morning, three o'clock. I woke his still up. I said to her, did you hear that? She said to me, what? I said to her, somebody spoke to me. An audible voice. She said to me, what? I said, no. I, 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 when I heard the voice, I immediately thought maybe it's my friend Nick and from, from Kufut, from Angola days. Because Nick used to speak with authority like that. But then I realized, but three, two o'clock in the morning, Nick should not be in a bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> if he was, I would probably have been, been dead by now. But anyway, I think, I said to her, somebody said to me, I heard a voice that, I must, that we must take the church over. Now I'm confused because it's never happened to me before. Now how do I go to Hilton and say, Hilton, I think we must take the church over because God does not work the other way around. He must start with the head first, not with the tail. Unbeknown to me that God already spoken to Hilton about us taking the church and Hilton was concerned that we are now taking a detour into, we've left the police Instead of coming into the church, uh, um, we are going into the corporate environment. And why he didn't talk to me about it, I don't know. But him, he had already spoken to Uncle Ray, and they were watching what I was doing. And I, I said, <laughs> so Hilton immediately, when I spoke to Hilton about what had happened, he immediately phoned Grant. And the next day we had a meeting with Grant. And the rest is history. But here comes the thing, the part of honoring. Honoring in transition. Oh, it's a difficult, well, it was extremely difficult for us to transition within a church to take over from Hilton and Tanya. Yes, Hilton and Tanya, being personal friends of us for 20 years, um, at the point when he still really needed a sister, when things were quite going quite difficult with something that happened in our family, Tanya was like a sister to her, Hilton was like a brother to, to, to Isel, and I could see that the transition Taking over from Hilton and Tanya was a difficult thing for them. I, could, I would watch Tanya in conversation. Being an old policeman, I could watch her body language, which she used to go with her foot. And I could see that Tanya was not ready for the transition, but Hilton was ready for transition. And so here comes the honoring part. This is that we come into church and here's Hilton and Tanya, and we are honoring them, but some of the people are starting to look at us as leaders. And so like I'm feeling I'm not honoring Hilton and Tanya. I, one day... It, it got to a point where I said to Stol, Sunday we're not going to church. Because I just wanted to create space for Yulton and Tanya. It was difficult. The people put us in a very difficult situation. And that honoring part is extremely important. And I respect you all this. As leaders, whenever we're involved in honoring, that's two, three months before transition, well, at working through transition. Been a very, very difficult state point for Estella and myself very difficult thing for Estelle and myself to go through. And here we have dear friends, and then you put in a corner, people are looking towards you and they're ignoring them. And so what we did is we stayed at home that Sunday morning, and um, we took our prophetic file. I said to her, okay, though we're not going to church tonight, but let's just work through our prophetic. 2007, Lindy Masters, prophetic word. 
of you that you're asking for direction. And I feel that God will answer you an audible voice. Come on. Yes, he will answer you an audible voice and he will tell you what to do. Come on. Because you've been faithful with your family. Yo. And I laughed and I said to his star, there's our prophetic word. There's God that spoke to me two o'clock that morning. It's in a prophetic word. And you know, the qualification there was faithful with your family. And as leaders, what, what are we? We are family. And God looks at us and he looks in your personal life and your, and your personal life and he looks at you and he says to me, you're my boy. You might not know the Bible as well as other, pe other people do. You do not have that biblical background. In fact, you know little of the Bible. You hardly know any doctrines and, and your, your understanding of theology is little. But one thing you understand is family. It's family. And I feel that, yes, we have the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And if we look at our prophetic word, I said to Estelle the other day, three A's, anointed, appointed, and authority. Throughout our, uh, throughout our prophetic word. And it just encourages us when we go in our prophetic word and look at the prophetic promises. And we see the fulfillment of the prophetic. And then we come and say, yes, Estelle, you know what? God spoke because it's in a prophetic word. And so it's important for us as, as, as leaders to emphasize family. You as leaders, you as young guys, family. Family, if you, if you cannot lead your own family, why would God entrust a family? Because we are family. Why would God entrust family to you if you cannot lead your own family? If you're not faithful with your own family. And so that is the point that we that we went through, and um, so that, that is the prophetic word that's been spoken over our lives. And so we look at the, the prophetic word that's been spoken over Ristland's church. And I'm, I'll just leave my notes now, that's for another day. But the prophetic words are spoken over Ristland's church. In the prophetic word, it says that we'll model something new to the community that will bring about the restoration. That our time in the police was not about the police, but it was a preparation for the season to come. That was not about the police, it's now about, no, about God's kingdom. And so just to, to go back in 1998, we had that warlord at, at Richmond Lake, Sophia and because of him, thousands of people had been murdered because he was branded as an informant of the ANC, and I was branded to be his handler, and that's where my problems came in, and he defected from the ANC, and he joined the UDM party, and all hell broke loose in Richmond. And he had this, this hit squad that operated on him, and they were, they were wanted for several murder charges, uh, including uh, attempted murder on us. We've been involved in several shootouts with one another. They shot Estelle's brother with me in a vehicle. They shot one of my colleagues dead next to me in a vehicle. Um, we had shot at each other a number of times, and they, the, the four of them, four or five MK guys, were, were uh, labeled as the most wanted fugitives in South Africa, and 200,000 rand prize money for their arrest uh, in conviction. And I was appointed as the team leader to arrest these guys. And it took us a period of two years to eventually apprehend all of them. Uh, and at that point of time, I don't know if you guys remember, Supercop Bushy Engelbrecht also arrived in a province and et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, we arrested these guys. They sentenced to life imprisonment. And during the amnesty process, just a couple of years ago, they released. And they're back in my town, my town. And I'm concerned about these guys because I know there's bad blood between us. And so I kept, start keeping taps on them where they are and just watching them. And now it's been like 17 years last we, we saw each other. 
And uh, so I was just been watching these guys, monitoring them. And at that point of time, there was quite a lot of shootouts in Richmond where people had been killed in the streets. And I received message that the one MK guy, who's now chief, head of MK, wanted to meet with me. He is a bad guy. So I said to you still, I knew that this day was going to come. Sooner or later, we are going to, this is not last year, sooner or later, we are going to be engaged in a gun battle with each other. So best we just get it over and done with. So I went home and still took my, put like a pity short and tackies on, my T-shirt, my gym bag, put my 357 in the back of the bag, loaded with ammunition. I said to Stahl, go and drop me off at the bottom end of the street in town. And I asked him, Wim Doop, is a retired policeman. I said to him, Doop, would you sit in the top and just check for me for drive-by shooters? And we need to sort this thing out today. So he still dropped me off just about 50 meters below the town board. I'm walking up the road. I'm the pastor of his church, but I'm ready for warfare. Today, vandaag gaan ons mekaar skiet en klaar kry. So, so I walk up to the security hut, and there's the other four MK guys, all four of them. And the one, Bob, he sees the, he was the chief commander, and he sees my, my back over my shoulder and looks at me, and I look him straight in the eyes, and I say to him, like you, you know, I'm always ready, I'm prepared. So he knew what I was saying to him. So I said to him, where's your brother? So I said to him, no, brother's waiting up in a road on a street. So I thought, now I'm not going to walk in the street with a drive-by shooting. I'll walk in the town property. There's a wall, so at least I'll, I'll be protected. If they shoot at me from the road, I'm protected. So I walk up to this guy, and he stands with his back towards me facing the road. So I said to him, search. And he swung around, and he said to me, I made him. Uh, he says to me, where's your car? So I thought, now what's my car to, got to do with it? And I said to him, you know me, I walk. I don't, buy, I don't go with the car. So now, 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 I'm, now I'm confusing him. So he says to me, now he wants to talk to me. So now I'm not talking to you in the street. Let's go down to the guardhouse where your brothers are. So we walk down there and I, into the guardhouse and I'm protected. I'm worried about drive-by shootings. And he stands next to me. Enemy. We hated one another. We shot at each other. He killed my colleagues. And we're standing there. And he says to me, sir, he says, you know what? Life is tough. I said to him, yes. He says, sir, I'm putting up a business in a rural area. Will you please help me? Yes. <laughs> hey, I'm there, ready for warfare. Imagine how much pride that this guy had to swallow to come and ask the very same man who sent him to prison for life, for help. And I'm immediately reminded of the prophetic promises of God. To saying that he's in a restoration business. You know, it's amazing. I, I then said to the guys, tomorrow I'm going to go into the area. And everybody said to me, if they see you there, they're going to kill you. I haven't been there for, for 15, 16, 17 years because I was not welcome in that area. I said, no, I'm going there. So I went there with Bob and another chap, Achsitz and another chap. We're standing at his business. And we said, okay, we can help you. We'll buy you doors and we'll buy you windows and corrugated iron sheets. And he said, Sir, said to me, sir, can we have a photo together? I said to him, yeah, stand. And I'm standing, and I put my arms on the church's shoulders. And you know what? No hatred. Forgiveness that I could not fabricate at all. I've never thought about forgiving Bob and Serge and Dover and those guys. But our Heavenly Father, when we submit ourselves to the Holy Spirit, He comes and He regenerates us. He sets us free, and, and without us knowing, 
that forgiveness comes automatically. And the next day, I'm like, I'm like, Lord, how did this happen? Oh, he's my brother. The next day, Serge arrived at the church, and I introduced him to Estelle. I said, Serge, this is my wife, Estelle. Estelle, this is Serge. And I said to him, would you like to have a cappuccino? Yeah, I would like to have a cappuccino. They searched for myself, having a cappuccino together. He says to me, sir, won't you come back and take the police station over, please? <laughs> <laughs> and I said to him, search, you know my type of policing, you'll have a protest march against me tomorrow because I believe in zero tolerance. And so zero tolerance is you abuse the rights of people. That's just zero tolerance. I chase you out of town. And so, so it's just like our Father, when we allow the Holy Spirit to come and work on our life, that He just changes us. That we, it's something that we cannot fabricate. And it's only when we surrender to our Father that these, these type of things happen. Another story, I was driving with Pastor and Lovu, Luke and Lovu, and we had to go. We went with the pastor's fraternal. I'm the only whitey with 20 guys. And we go to the, the, the schools to go and pray with the matriculants. And coming back, or going there, I stopped. I said to Luke, overlooking the mountains at Ezomos Mini, it's a far end of Richmond, and I stopped and I said to Luke, I said, Luke, do you know what? I said to him, the last time when I was in this area was when we were shooting people and they were shooting at us. I said to him, that's where Fabian Mtola was shot and that's where I saved that guy's life and this is where Johnny Fulun shot a guy 200 meters and this and that and this and that. I said to him, but today, I'm back with the Bible. And the Bible is lying, lying on my Bucky's dashboard. I said, the last time I was here was an armored vehicle with hand grenades and, and R1s ready to warfare. But today I'm back to come and preach and pray for the very same people that we fought with. And so we came out of the area and I turned right and Luke said to me, where are you going? I said to him, no, we're going to see Mrs. Ngabende. He says to me, hey, you want this area, I said, no, we're going to go there. And we go there to Mrs. Nkabine's house, and we knock on the door, Koko, she says, who's there? I said to her, madam. And there's an old gogo now, and she gets up. And she came there, we were arch enemies. He came there and embraced me. I said to her, how are you, Mrs. Nkabine? She said, no, I'm not well. I said, can we pray for your healing? Let's look at myself, just praying for healing. It's not me. It's our Heavenly Father. So I thought I just want to come tonight and just encourage you. Just encourage you that, that when you walk with our Father, it's amazing things that happens. And two weeks ago, we were at the church, and, and one of the chaps in the church, and I'm going to end with the story, one of the chaps in the church phoned, and he said to me, Mom, my mom's dying. And they're not believers. He says, but will you please come and pray for my mom? So I said to Stella, let's go right now. So we go there. And there's a lady, ah, not nice. She, her mouth open and she makes all these funny noises. And, ah, ah, ah. And I just went and sat next, she's not a believer. I went and sat next to her. And I put my hand on her shoulder and I said to her, Maureen, this is Johan. I said to her, can I, can, I, can, I, can I read the scripture to you? Because she's unconscious. But I believe in a good, good father. I believe my father allowed her to hear and respond, although she could not speak. Because the father that I believe, that's a father that I serve. And you're not, going to, you're not going to convince me otherwise. And 
I, I started reading scripture with Maureen. She laying there and started reading Psalm 23. And as I read Psalm 23, I just started thanking God that our Father is with her in her last moment. And that our Father is busy preparing her for transition. And I'm saying to Maureen, you must let go. And I lead her to Lord's Prayer, and I hope that she responded. But in that time, the presence of our Heavenly Father and the peace of our Heavenly Father just came upon Maureen, and she became totally, totally at peace to such an extent that Wade, her son, phoned Hayden afterwards and said to Hayden, Hayden, something happened there today. Our Father, coming at the last minute, at the last minute in her death, in the last minute, before she dies, our father comes and he steps into the situation. And I know, and I know that Maureen in a subconscious mind responded. And I'm, nobody's, gonna, nobody's gonna convince me otherwise because we serve a good, good father. And so can we carry on and just testify about the goodness of our father. It's just so amazing. So amazing. And I just want to end off with a story that as church leaders, we must never, never back off from telling the people who are not saved that they're going to go to hell. We often like to sugarcoat the gospel and make it sound nicely. But there are people that they need to hear that they're going to go to hell. I have my favorite teaching with that is Five Minutes After Death, written by Isaac Berger, who led the RGS Church. And Isaac Berger writes a story that within five minutes after your death, you will know that the decisions that you've made in life, whether they were the right or the wrong decisions, that five minutes after death, you are in a second cast of your life, and what are you stepping into? Are you stepping into the presence of God, or are you stepping into something, nothing? And, and, and I, I just feel as leaders, it's just that when we have that opportunity, is that we must confront the people with the gospel message because we will not get that opportunity again to tell people about the reality of hell and the grace and the love of our Father God. Don't, don't miss out on those opportunities. The second thing that I feel in leading the church at Richland, and I want, to, I want to really encourage us, is the apostolic calling upon us as leaders on the church. Mally Black writes a book on apostolicity. And I am convinced that as long as we preach mission, as we, long as we preach making Jesus known, God will build your church and he will provide for the church. Mally Black in his book writes about churches who allowed structure to come in. In the beginning, the Methodist church was with uh, uh, John Wesley, Wesley and those guys. They were evangelistic and they went out and they understood this thing. But somewhere along the line, they allowed structure to come into the church. And we must never allow structure to become more important than a gospel message. And so us as leaders with young people impart that, that, that vision of, of, of apostolicity about making Jesus known to people. Thank you. Father God, Lord, thank you. Lord, that you have called us to lead. Lord, I pray, Lord, that, that we will never look at our own abilities, Father, but that we will look at you, Father. Lord, that in whatever we do, Father, that we will put you first, Lord. Father, that we would never forget the calling on our lives, Father, and that is to make you known, Lord. Make you known, Father, and to portray you wherever we go, Father. Lord, I, we thank you, Father, that our identity is in you, Lord Jesus. 
not in the world, Lord, Lord, that we are new creations, that the old is gone, the former is gone, and that we are new creations, Father, with our citizenship in you, Lord, that we belong to you, Father. We thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for our salvation, Lord. Thank you, Father, for your grace upon our lives, Lord. Father, I pray for all of us tonight here, Father, in Ephesians 1.17, Lord, that we will have that, that spiritual revelation, a revelation and wisdom to understand you better and to grow in you, Lord. For more of your gifts, of your spirit in our lives, Father, more of your fruit in our lives, Father. Lord, I pray that you would give each and one of us just the, the endurance, Father, to run this race, Lord, that to remain focused just on you, O oh Lord. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Johan. Some uh, hectic stories, but just a wonderful, wonderful thread of grace going through everything, isn't it? And uh, if we surrender our lives to him completely, he will use us beyond what we think uh, or ever would have dreamt possible. Um, just a, a word I felt while we were listening to you, Han, was that if you are, if you're a church leader pastoring, uh, and you you are hearing God and following Him, uh, transition is in your his, in your future. It's in your future because transition is is what kicks everything into the next gear and uh, we mustn't be afraid of it we must anticipate it and uh, and trust God for the right person to be made known because he's working on one side uh, and he's also working on the other side I mean can you imagine having to carrying it knowing that God's called you to lead this <laughs> And, uh, and you, you can't really go and say, um, you know, God said. But trusting that God's got a plan. And that's amazing. So thank you, Johan. Next up we have Aubrey Bauer, who leads the South Side uh, with Carmen. And uh, thank you, but... Don't thank me. No. <laughs> go for it. Thanks, Rich. Uh, so Carmsy sitting there. We've got three kids. We're based in Marisburg, and we've driven up here to the cold Hilton. Just took my jersey off. Um, you know, just something to share before, just something I felt doing worship and also just linked a bit with transition. The other night, uh, going to my oldest boy's room, I saw this old watch that I, I bought back in the day, and my, my oldest boy found it. And, and he's kept it on a side table. Um, and I don't know why God reminded me of the picture, but I just felt that there's, there's a calling on us to, to, the time has come to hand over to the young. The time has come to hand over, to trust the young, uh, to come through. And, and there's also a calling on their side to take hold of that and to say, yes, I, I'm, I'm willing. Um, I just see a whole bunch of young people here tonight and just praying that over your lives. So I've got a very interesting title. I'm going to share it up front, and we're going to turn to Mark chapter 4, the end of Mark chapter 4, and, and drift into chapter 5 as well. 
what I felt God put on my heart is to, to share on, on these two thoughts and, and somehow marry them together as, as we explore Scripture. My title is The Un- Unrushed Nature of Jesus and the Urgency of the Good News. The Unrushed Nature of Jesus and the Urgency of the Good News. And so let's read together from verse 35 of chapter 4, the book of Mark. It says, That day... When evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind after a full day's ministry, they took him along just as he was, in his fatigued state, tired in the boat. There were also other boats with him, and a furious storm came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped, and that was not unusual the, the mountains surrounding the Sea of Galilee uh, formed this wind tunnel, and, and every once in a while, unexpectedly, this, this massive uh, wind would come, and, and like we read here, they feared for their lives. It was a real moment of fear. During this, Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down immediately, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. And just pausing there. So this fear for their lives transfers to a fear because they're in the presence of the holy. They suddenly realize we're in the presence, we're in the same boat as God. And and you know, just one thing I want to mention, not that I was planning on this, but I I loved worship tonight. And, And my prayer over us, as our church and our churches is that there's this, this, this reverence in worship again. We're in the presence of holy, of deity, of God, and, and we worship him in that way, a reverent fear. Let's move on to the next chapter. Jesus lands his boat on the other side, and when Jesus got out of the boat, verse 2, a man with an impure spirit, came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Key detail. Night and day among the tombs, And in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. No one could subdue this man. Yet he sees Jesus. And suddenly he's on his knees. It's powerful. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, the Son of the Most High God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man you impure spirit. Then we move on. We know what happens. The, 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 the demons flee into the pigs next door. The village come along and they say, we are afraid of you. Get away from us. 
And then we read, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your own people and tell them this good news. How much the Lord has done for you, the urgency of the good news. Go home and tell them how God has had mercy on you. And so the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis, the 10 cities, how much Jesus has done for him, and all the people were amazed. Guys, we can just carry on reading scripture and just be fed by this, you know, but I, I just want to focus on these two thoughts. Speaking to us as leaders, as we lead people in our, in our churches, what can we learn as leaders from this? Learning from the, the unrushed way of Jesus. I want to focus on that. And it's an interesting angle to take as you look at these stories. But you look at Jesus in the boat in chapter 4. And, and what is he doing? He is at rest. I know he's had a long day of ministry. But he's at rest. There's a storm happening around him. He's at rest. If you read further on in chapter 5, beyond the story I've just read, you see that he's, he's in in a crowd where a man called Jairus comes to him and says, my daughter who's 12 years old is ill, she's dying. And in his unrushed way, he says, well, let me come with you and I'll pray. And this crowd is like around him and, and, and rushing him along. And in the meantime, a lady with the issue of blood, of bleeding for 12 years, has a faith in her heart to say, I'll just touch his garment and I'll be healed. And the unrushed way of Jesus says, actually, here's a moment here. And instead of just allowing her to touch his garment and be healed, he gives her his attention and ministers to her. There's so much to read into about who he is. It's the fact that when you, when you ask him for something, you always get more from him. And, and this lady's life has changed. And then we know that the 12-year-old girl dies. And in this unrushed manner, he says, no, actually, she'll be risen. Let me come with you. Just a, a powerful thought on who he is. But the disciples in these stories that I've just read, in the boat, rushing. Jesus surrounded by people, rushing him along. Surrounded by the needs of people. Does that sound familiar? Just there's needs in ministry, constant. There's a need, yeah, there's a need, yeah. And we can rush along, but can we catch the unrushed way of Jesus? How easy it is to, for us to, to have the rush culture of the world drift into the church. And we start living like the church. Start, start, start like living like the world. Start fearing like the world. How easy it is for us as leaders to lead with this sense of rush in our hearts, this restlessness. Am I preaching to the right people here? Because I, I find myself in that place so often. Lord, I need to just rest in you. I'm just rushing into stuff. And I, I think I'm building the right things. I hope. We rush. Now, actually, we've got to find our rest in him. You remember the movie Shawshank Redemption? Classic. But this man who's been in prison for 50 years, common theme tonight, prison and police and stuff, but he's released into the world, and in the meantime, cars have been manufactured, and the first letter he writes back to his friends in prison is, he says this, the world is gone and got itself into a very big rush. 
And it's so easy for that the culture of rush to drift into the church. And we know this. It's important to have good work ethic, to work hard, to be busy. Things need to be done. There's a lot of work to be done. That's the truth. The people to see, people to minister to, meetings to make. Got to get through our meetings. And I don't want you to hear this. Busy is not bad as long as we are doing what he has told us to do. Be busy what he's told, with what he's told us to do. That's why Jesus said, I only do what I see my father's doing. What does this mean? He's telling us something here. There's a message for us as leaders. He's saying, I'm living at the pace of another. I'm moving at the tempo of someone else, not my own. I'm living according to someone else's agenda, not mine. A while back, I, I, I forgot about this story, but a while back, I, I told Combs, I need to go for a prayer walk. I didn't carry dumbbells and all that. I just went for a walk. But, and I had these things just weighing heavy on me. And, and you know, we, we need to hear the voice of God. You know, I'm busy, Lord. I'm, I need to talk to you about these things. And as, as I started walking, and, and I wanted to start presenting my problems to the Lord, I just felt him stop me and say, why have you come with your agenda? You know, and, and, and it actually, it was a rebuke that set me free. That, that my job is not to come with an agenda to God, but actually I need to come with him and he needs to give me his agenda. I need to live at his pace. So we can be busy in, a, in an unrushed way when we're doing what he's told us to do. There's a theologian called Dallas Willard, and he had an, a panel of, of young men that he interviewed on one occasion, and he asked them this very simple question, describe Jesus to me in one word. And all the young guns, you know, gave all the good, correct answers, Savior, King, Lord, and he's like listening to me, oh, it's all true, we know those things already. And it, the question turned on him, so how would you describe Jesus in one word? And I read this a while ago, and it just didn't sit well with me. It's like, I, you know, that's not the Jesus I know, but when I look at Scripture, I see it. And his answer was, I would describe Jesus as relaxed. Relaxed. I was like, I can't. But, and he's not meaning lazy. He's not meaning doesn't get his hands dirty. He just means that he is not rushed. And I want that for my life. You know, we, we want to be busy. We need to be busy, but busy with the right things and not with a heart that is rushed, but a heart that is at rest. And so how is your internal state at the moment as you lead people is my question. And you, you're the only one who can answer that. Are you leading from a place of rest? I feel like saying to some of us tonight, reminding us, because I know it's so easy to miss this, as we, we, we're doing what we are called to do, but it can be hard. It can feel like there's so much to get done. And I just want to remind us that God has this. He is building this thing. We are the co-laborers. We can rest in the master builder. And so I'm going to move on to the next part, because these are two thoughts that seem to be in contrast the unrushed way of Jesus and the urgency of the gospel, but we see him land his boat. 
and, and rescue someone. Salvation is brought by him. There's an urgency in this gospel. So we need to know that this is our most important mission as the church. The, the most important entity on earth is the church. Why? Because it carries the most important message to the world. And there's this mandate on us, and we need to get the message out. We know that Jesus said the harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. There's work to be done. But something to just focus in on in the story, just the wonder of who Jesus is. He lands his boat near, near a graveyard. Have you ever thought of that? Near the tombs where this man could see him and approach him. Not near the, 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 the buzz of the city. Near, it's, it's as if, just reading this the other, other day again, Jesus is drawn to those who are dead. Jesus is drawn to those who are in trouble. He lands his boat there. That is, that is who he is. And he, and he doesn't get out of his boat and see the state of this man and start asking questions. How did you get yourself into this situation? You know, I, I found myself in moments of counseling asking questions like this. So how did you get to this state, you know? Like, and you know, what are you gonna do to get out of this state? <laughs> you know, like, and, and we kind of adopt the culture of the world that says something like this. You've made the bed, you lie in it. You know, but, but the way of Jesus, his unrushed way, yet an urgency to preach the good news. He doesn't cross-examine. He sees a man ousted by society in trouble and he sets him free. And, and, and what happens when a man ex or person experiences freedom like this? They go and they, they, they minister in a way that they ne we never expected them to into the Decapolis, 10 cities, telling, he had multiple demons, he goes and preaches in multiple cities. Jesus. You see, our aim is to follow Christ and to become like him. That's my, I want, I want that. He is unrushed and he is focused on the lost. And so the question is, because I'm challenged by this, how do we adjust and how do we see, if, if it's ne necessary, this adjustment within our, within our churches? It's not by standing on a pulpit and, and telling people, you need to be less rushed. <laughs> you know, rest more. That's not the way. It's, it's not by demanding or commanding people to, to go and preach the gospel, go and tell your friends, go to the nations. That's not how it happens. How does it happen? In the last while, I've, I've just carried this weighty sense again that we, we need to form as part of our leadership vocab again, Holy Spirit baptism. Holy Spirit baptism. I was thinking just in, in, in my leadership and, and just some of our, our leaders, just when last did I hear that? You know, where it's one of the first things that comes out when we minister to people is actually, no, Holy Spirit baptism. Holy Spirit. The, the, the answer to live like Jesus in an unrushed way and to preach this gospel with power is, 
the Holy Spirit filling us. We need Him. We need Him. So that's how those two thoughts are married together. You know, this, this unrushed way speaks of our identity, the, the, the internal place from which we lead from. And, and we see how, how Jesus, you know, when he was baptized, the Holy Spirit came upon him in the form of a dove. And the, the, the Bible is so detailed and specific. Why? Because a, a dove cannot rest on anything that's restless. So Jesus, just secure in who he is, knowing who he is, at rest with who he is, the Holy Spirit rests on him. May we be like that. Holy Spirit rests on us. We see the, the, another picture of the Holy Spirit is fire, fire, tongues of fire coming. That this power, Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Why? Because we need to go preach this gospel. We can't do it without him, friends. I find that in our prayer meetings in the last while, we've been praying this, Lord, unless you go before us, unless your spirit leads us, we, we cannot do this thing. We need him. Baptism in the Holy Spirit, being filled again. And I, and I kind of just wanna bring this language back into my leadership. And, and maybe it touches your heart tonight. And I just wanna remind us of one last thing. And maybe, the, uh, is it okay if the band just comes briefly? Um, because they were so good at first, you know? I don't know if you've seen this before. In Acts chapter 19, Paul enters Ephesus. And, and I don't know how this happened, but he meets a handful of believers. They tell him, we, we have given our lives to Jesus. The first question that Paul asks them is, have you received the Holy Spirit? You know, not which church have you joined? You know, have you, have you found a connect group? Have you been, got involved in a serving team? No, the most important question, and, and, and Paul shows us this, is have you received the Holy Spirit? And their answer is, we've never even heard of the Holy Spirit. I wonder how true that is of some people in our church. I hope it's not. I don't think it is. I, but anyway, but, but what happens there? Paul, Paul shows us the example. When there's an infilling of, of the Holy Spirit needed, you lay your hands and he, and, he, and he prays for them and they are filled with the Spirit. They join him for the next few years as he preaches and the church in Ephesus is birthed. It's a church most spoken of in the Bible. You go to Revelation chapter two, the first church that Jesus speaks to is the church in Ephesus. And he says, you've done well, you've been busy, you've done all these things, but you have forsaken your first love. You've, you've forsaken this thing of my presence. It speaks to them again. Friends, I, I feel, uh, <laughs> it's funny because unrushed, but I've rushed through this. Um, I want to be filled every day. We need to be, as leaders, doing what God has called us to, making sure that we're not rushing ahead of him or rushing ahead of our gifts, not rushing past people, not missing moments where people need rescuing, that, that there's opportunity for salvation and we're rushing past uh, and, and, and having the power to do what God has called us to. You know, you know, when Paul speaks about being filled, Ephesians 5, it's written in the present continuous tense, continually be filled 
continually be filled. And that's my heart for us tonight. And I, I just wonder if we can, maybe if, if, if you feel, oh God, just fill me again. Can you stand with me? If you feel, God, just pray, fill me again, Lord. Chatting to our elders recently in a meeting, saying this is, we're seeing a hunger within our people, saying, Lord, we want your presence. We, uh, it's all about you, Lord. May you come, Holy Spirit. Now, saying to him, you know what, guys, we, we can't just pray for it out there. It needs to start with us. Fill us, Lord. And Lord, I pray over myself, Lord, over every person as they respond to you now, Lord. Lord, we don't pray this prayer flippantly, Lord. We, we know the price that was pray, paid for your presence, Lord. The great price that you paid, Lord Jesus, to give us access, to, to, to make a way for us. And Lord, I pray that the people in this room tonight that will, will feel like life has been a rush, ministry has been a rush. Lord, I pray for your rest. It is found in you, Lord. It is found as you, Holy Spirit, come upon us. And I pray, fill us again in that way, Lord. That we will, we will work and minister from a place of rest, Lord God. I pray for that, Lord God. But Lord, also, we need your power. So we pray, Holy Spirit, just come in power. Come in power, Lord. We ask you, we invite you. Holy Spirit, we ask you to, to come and fill us again, that we will catch the urgency, Lord. We, we won't naturally catch this urgency to, to preach this gospel like never before. We need you to empower us. We need our spiritual eyes to be open, Lord, and for that to be released over our people that we lead. We pray for that, Lord God. Thank you, Lord.